Hello, I'm Luca De Giglio, and this is the Web3 in Travel podcast, where you can learn about crypto, blockchain, and how the new internet will change travel. Today, we will talk about logging with Web3, which basically means you can log in into a website without creating a login and password, without creating an account, but simply clicking on a wallet, signing a transaction, and getting in, which sounds a bit difficult, but basically means clicking one button instead of creating a whole new account. So with login with Web3, when you go to a new website, you don't need to create an account or connect your Google, Facebook, or whatever you're using. You just click a button and your wallet does the work. Your wallet already manages your account in a way. And instead of creating an account in the website, you're giving access to your account to the website itself. So it is a very simple concept. It doesn't involve any tokens. You don't need any token to do that. You don't need to buy anything. You don't need to speculate. You don't need to own Bitcoin. You don't need to subscribe to the ideology of the cyberpunk, whatever. You just need to own a wallet. And that means, again, no tokens involved. It means you own a private key and a public key. And the public key is basically an address, which is your login. And your private key is the password, which you don't need to enter in the website. It stays in in the back in your wallet. So we had login with Web1. Login with Web1 is When you create an account with an email address, you create a password, you get an email to verify that the email works. Sometimes you click on a link, you get back to the website, and you are logged in. And then you have to remember your password, and that's why you end up with many, many different passwords, uh, maybe password managers, or as many people still do, one password for every single website they use. And once one of these websites is hacked, then all your websites are hacked. So the login with Web1 is still around. Then we have login with Web2, which means login with Google, login with Facebook. You don't need to create a new account. You just use what you already have. But that gives a lot of centralized power to these platforms and the risk associated with that. Because if you lose access to Facebook, you're losing access probably to a lot of other websites. And logging with Web2 is pretty common and it's still around. Logging with Web3 is the new thing. Does it mean it's going to replace everything else? No, it's probably just going to be a new way to log in and users will decide what they prefer. Yes, some websites will not offer logging with Web3. Some websites are already offering only logging with Web3. If you go in any DeFi protocol, there's no Web2, Web1 login. There's only login with Web3. So as it always goes with these things, trying to see who is going to win, who is going to be the only one left in town is, is not a very useful exercise. These things tend to coexist at different levels for different people, for different use cases. So what I'm telling here, there's a new way to log in. It's already out there. It's going to grow. And you probably are going to use it as a user. And maybe you're going to use it in your own website. Uh, Am I telling you that you have to use it in your website 100%? No, again, it's a technology. You can choose to understand it and you may choose to use it or not. 
So this is not an adversary position. It's not Web3 is better, Web1 is, is worse, etc. They have trade-offs at every level. For instance, one of the trade-offs of Web3 is that if you lose access to your private key, so you, you, you lose access to your wallet, but then you lose access to every single website you logged into with, right? So it is really risky, which makes it not suitable for many people, especially those who are not careful enough, right? Or it's going to be more suitable for more people when we are going to have more uh, social recovery wallets and stuff like this, which I haven't actually yet explained, but we're going to get there one day. So let's see the things which we can do with the Web3 login and which were not possible before. So first of all, it allows a very easy account creation, even if it's not really an account creation, which means it's much easier for the user to start using a new website. Um, there's basically no friction compared to Web2, Web1 logins, where there is some kind of friction. More in Web1, less in Web2. So if it is easier for users to use your website, maybe you're going to have a better return on your investment in terms of marketing, maybe, because more people are going to use it because it's easier to, to get in, right? But at the same time, on the other side of the medal, once a user wants to stop using your service, they simply disconnect the wallet from your website and they're gone. You don't have their email. You don't have, you have no way to contact them. They're completely gone, which is great for the user. You know, sometimes we, we go on websites, we try them out, we forget about them, and we keep getting their emails for the next five years until we remember finally how to unsubscribe, which is really annoying and which makes us often say, okay, I'm not going to try this website because I don't want to get into this kind of weird relationship in which I have to give my data and they're going to use it against me. I'm trying to sell this stuff for, for the long term, right? In logging with Web3, you connect to the website, you do what you have to do, and all they have is your address. And yes, they can see your address, they can see what happens inside, but they can't really contact you. And once you're out, you're out. Does this mean we are in a privacy situation here? No, this is a privacy nightmare, actually, if you, know, if you are connected your real person to your wallet. Why? Because when they can see your wallet, they can see every single transaction ever happened on that wallet and even the transactions connected from other wallets. It is not a private thing. Blockchains are really open. That gives them some extra powers and that also presents some extra dangers, especially if you don't know what you're doing. One of the classic mistakes of people in blockchains is like they come, they see no names. It's pseudonymous. So you are your address, which is a string not your name, and they think they are anonymous. So they think they can do whatever they want and nobody's going to ever catch them. But the moment you connect your wallet or a connected wallet, maybe to a, an exchange where they ask you for your you know, KYC, your passport, etc., then everything becomes clear and there are companies dedicated to this. They know exactly what you've been doing on the, on the blockchain. So always assume everything you do in the blockchain is transparent and people know what you as a person are doing. Unless you get to a point in which you learn how to protect yourself and you're going to be able to create completely independent personas, which nobody knows who you are and you are simply transacting as an address. But that's a discussion for another day. Basically, I just want to give a word of advice. Blockchains are not secret.
So you can log in into this website. You can, you know, transact, do exchanges, maybe make bookings if you're talking about travel or buy NFTs, which represent nights, whatever Web3 travel is going to be. If you have to make some kind of payment, you don't need to insert your credit card for the millionth time in the millionth website. You have your tokens in the in the wallet. You just pay. So the whole experience is a pretty weird one because it, it's hard to get the web tree at the beginning, right? At first, you have to create the wallet and get money into it, etc. And it's like, oh, what is this thing? This is too hard. I'm going to stay in web two. But once you are in web three, you understand that you have passed this wall and now you are in a land where things are really easy, really fast. And then you start looking at the things you used to do in web two, like again, creating your account, putting your credit card everywhere, etc. And you understand that the level of friction we've been used to have is enormous. And at the same time, we've been kind of being conditioned to think that this is the easy web. The web two is not easy. It's a mess in many ways. And of course, again, it's use cases, right? For some use cases, and I think for many use cases, web three is just faster, easier, more comfortable, more secure in many, many ways. Why? Because we are using internet-native value transmission tools. Web2 is really great for transferring information, and it's really bad for transferring value. The moment you have to buy something, or you have to manage your value, maybe in the form of reviews, or your identity, well, then it becomes clunky because there's no protocol for value in the internet. Or, to be correct, there wasn't. Now there is, and that's why we have Web3. So let's see this from the point of view of somebody who has a website, right? You have a website, you have your Web1 login, maybe you even insert a Web2, and now you're thinking about Web3. What can you do from your point of view? Well, first of all, you could give access to things, to parts of your website, based on the tokens which are inside this wallet. So before that, you were trying to give access to a part of your website only to subscribers. They had to subscribe, they had to pay, and then you had to have a system which recognized this person as, as, uh, as paid, right? And there are systems like this in WordPress. I used to use S2 member. There's many, many systems. So of course, the problem has been solved because the problem is big. We want to give some access to some people according to maybe what they paid or other, other parameters, like how long they've been, they've been with us or whatever. And of course, we solved the problem, but it's very clunky too, right? If you are a programmer, you know that you're using different libraries. It's, it's been solved, but with Web3, it's much better. Because in Web3, all you have to do is to say, okay, does this wallet owns this NFT or this token? Great. There you are. Get in. That's all. The user has to take no action, okay? And when they have to unsubscribe, they don't have to kind of do something on your website. They just... If they lose access to the NFT, they sell the NFT, they lose access to your uh, special content. And the new person who has the NFT has access to your special content. So it is, again, very, very streamlined and very frictionless. So there's a lot of granularity here because you could say, okay, anybody who wants to make a booking my website, let's make the example of a direct booking website. I think in the next years, we will discover how crypto slash web tree slash blockchain allows direct bookings in a way that we cannot even think possible today. Because it solves the issue of trust. 
I book through Airbnb or Booking.com because I know I'm not going to be screwed. I know, or most of the times I won't be screwed. If something bad happens, I'm protected by these OTAs. Okay? I'm protected against the host or the hotel. Why do I need to be protected? These are all you know, good people who are, have only my good interest in mind. Well, no, uh, it's an adversary environment always in business. In transactions, it's always adversary. I give you money, you give me a service, maybe the service doesn't correspond to my expectations. Or maybe I want to abuse the fact that I gave you money, I want more than, than what I expect, whatever. It's all, always adversary. So when there's a third party managing these disputes, things become easy because it removes the friction for the buyer and the buyer prefers this system. If you tell me, okay, go book, book directly now, uh, 10% discount. Yeah, 10% discount. And what, what if I send you the money and then the apartment is not there or I get there and then you say, okay, I give you another apartment. That one was, you know, the water pipes are broken. These things used to happen. Uh, probably they still happen in direct bookings because there is no way to manage the trust natively on the internet. So we are a transaction on the internet, but there's no native way to manage this kind of trust. So it makes the whole direct booking experience less protected, at least theoretically. So customers feel less protected. They, they tend to avoid it often. Web3 has ways, and we're going to get there in the future, to make this trust assumption go away. You don't need to trust it, trust anymore. It's called trustless. I don't need to trust you. I know I'm protected, right? So I'm going to book with you. How is this going to play out exactly? I don't know, uh, but let's see. Here's an idea. People like hosts and hotels, they could participate in a scheme in which they deposit money, tokens, in a fund which is managed collectively so nobody can take the money back unless something, you know, there's a majority of votes towards that. And, um, or... Maybe the money you put is blocked for six months, a year, whatever. So you put some money to guarantee that you're going to behave well, you as a hospitality provider. And then the guest can book, knowing that if something goes wrong, this money can be, or part of this money can be used as a damage um, refund. How? Well, first by telling the owner, you didn't give me the right apartment or the internet wasn't working, give me back some money. And the owner can accept and stay into the fund, stay into this trusted pool. Or the owner can say, no, I don't agree. Everything was fine. I want all my money. And a dispute can be open. And then we go into this discussion I already talked about a little bit, how we can try to manage disputes in a decentralized way. So now the way we used to trust the OTAs, we can also trust pools or DAOs or any kind of construct which is there to protect the the both parties it's like a third party but it's decentralized and has a very low cost and it has no locking system in which you are stuck with a company and if you leave the company you lose everything and this may work for the guests too you know some guests could say okay i want to have um, access to specific properties and to do that i need to deposit my tokens in a pool and if I do something wrong, like make some damage, this money can be taken. And if I agree, fine. You know, maybe I simply made a mistake. And if I don't agree, we go on to a dispute. Mind, the dispute management doesn't need to be decentralized. It could be a company offering these services, and it does only that, and it's, it's paid for the service. 
So when I log in with Web3, the system recognizes that I'm part of this pool. And this is done by the fact that when you deposit tokens in a pool, the pool can give you some tokens which represent the fact that you have deposited something, right? So you see how now the systems can communicate with each other and uh, see that money is locked. The other very easy to forecast use case is when you tell people, if you own my NFT, you get a special discount, access to some specific kind of rooms or whatever I want to decide. You log in with Web3, I can see you own this NFT, and then you get access to these kind of bookings. Once the booking is made, you can, for instance, another idea, you can send them automatically some NFTs, uh, proof of stay, POS maybe. And then you can decide, okay, everybody who's been before with us uh, and comes back, now we know it. It's the ancient welcome back to this hotel, sir, uh, which now doesn't need any kind of layer of software on top of it. They make a booking, they come to stay, you give them an NFT, you don't even need to ask permission to give them the NFT. You just send it to their wallet and you are basically putting like a, a cookie in their wallet. And then you use this cookie to remember that they've been at your place. Not, not only remember that they've been at your place, but how, when, how they booked, how much they paid, etc. From the point of view of the guest, if they don't like that, they take this NFT and they throw it in the cemetery. I don't know if you heard about the cemetery of tokens and NFTs. There are some addresses on the blockchain which are called basically dead addresses. And these are addresses where you send tokens and nobody can take them out because the private keys do not exist anymore, at least in theory. So it's like an elephant cemetery for tokens. So if I get an NFT I don't like, I can just send it there and it's basically destroyed. So you see that by logging with WebTree, logging with your wallet, you can unlock many use cases. And we just started thinking about a few of them, but there's going to be really many, many of them in the future. So how hard it is to implement this in your website? Well, to simply let people log in with WebTree is pretty easy from a technical point of view. There are open libraries for that. Again, remember, WebTree is mostly open code. So whatever you see around, you can copy it, fork it, and then try to do your own thing. Not always, but most of the time. So you get this system, you, you put in your website, you're going to basically add a new link, which is called Connect Wallet. And there you are. Now, the bigger job is to say, okay, what can you do now that you logged in with it? So it's not straightforward as getting a YouTube embed you know, code and put it in your website. There's some coding to do. There's some thinking of what you can actually allow people to do with this. So whether this is a big job or a small job depends on the use case. But since everybody's going to do the same thing, we're going to have reusable code for basically everything. So again, you get in early, more opportunity, more work. You have less examples to copy from. You get in later, it's much easier, but then also you maybe lose the opportunity. It's always the same choice. The logging with WebTree addition to your business opens also opportunities out of the uh, specific website because somebody could log in into your website with web tree and make a booking and then if they have the same wallet on their phone 
they may use it to access the doors of the hotel or the self-check-in for your apartment. Because at that point, they can have a, a QR code, which unlocks many you know, real-world situations. And things like breakfast at the hotel where you get there and there's somebody checking your name and you give your name, they check your room number, etc., could be solved on a parallel line where you just scan a QR code, it recognizes your wallet, which gave you access to the room, which gave you access to the, the website, and you use it for paying the room. And as always with all these technologies, you can imagine many scenarios. Many look great and they will never happen. Many look weird and they're going to be mainstream. So let me just stop here trying to guess what's going to happen. I don't know. I want you to understand that this is a completely new way to interact with websites, which allows you to bring all your past history you have in that wallet and use it as a leverage to access services and, and parts of websites. Or allows you to be a completely new person, like creating a new email address in login with Web2 or One. So you create a completely new wallet, it's completely clean, and you say, from now on, this is my wallet for anything travel-related. And I'm not going to use it for anything else. So you're going to have a specific persona for that kind of activities you do. And then once this uh, wallet becomes precious, uh, maybe you can give it to somebody else. Now, giving wallets away is difficult, but maybe you collect NFTs and you can sell all those NFTs after five years of traveling, they're going to be worth a lot because, as I discussed in the past, they, are, they have collected a lot of history. And history in Web3 is really important. It can really be leveraged for, for capturing even more value. Okay, so let's move to the little segment about news, which is going to grow in the future. But I have just a couple of news today. One was very interesting. It's not very consequential, but it's, it's a signal. So there's been Eat Denver last week. Uh, Eat Denver is a conference about the basically the Ethereum ecosystem, and they do hackathons. And somebody appeared in um, a Discord saying these words: "Quote, hi all, I am at Eat Denver right now, and my team is trying to incorporate your dispute arbitration into our hackathon idea." End quote. He was referring to Aragon, which is a DAO service uh, protocols, which also has dispute resolution systems, the ones I was talking about. Let's go ahead. Quote, it's a decentralized Airbnb. You guys would help with disputes between host guests. Where is the plugin starter code that we could pull in to incorporate you? End quote. And I found this interesting because it is now five years ago I wrote exactly um, the white paper of chip community in which we were uh, like theorizing this uh, dispute resolution management systems for Airbnb or basically for vacation rentals bookings in, a, in an OTA. And now some people are starting to do this. And who are these people? Are these people from the travel industry? No, these are hackers doing things outside of, basically coming from outside. And I said this is not consequential because I haven't found anything related to this specific uh, hackathon idea. They didn't win the hackathon and I don't see any code related to that. So 
nothing seems to be come out of this, but you see has somebody is trying to solve the problem from the outside using Web3 technology. So if somebody builds this, somebody else will be able to fork the code and, and, and use it or even use the same system and build other services around it. So I mentioned this again, not because we're going to have a decentralized Airbnb dispute management system tomorrow, but because I see for the first time I've seen something moving at this level. So it's an interesting signal. The other news I want to talk about is not travel related. Uh, it's what's happening in Canada. And, and I think this is very important because I've seen people who used to completely dismiss the whole Bitcoin narrative, the whole decentralized cryptocurrencies narrative, come over to the argument and say, okay, I was wrong. We do need Bitcoin, right? What happened in Canada? And what I'm going to say here, it, it should be taken without taking into consideration what you think was happening. Like, so there, there's a protest and you can agree or not with the protest, but there's a protest and the protest is being squashed by not allowing people to transact freely with their money. So first of all, there's been a GoFundMe campaign to collect money for the truckers and the GoFundMe campaign had to be closed and all the money was blocked. So it couldn't reach the truckers. And then a state of emergency was declared and something which hadn't happened before, like the use uh, leveraging the, the, the centralized payment systems. They basically said, if you are part of this protest or if you help somebody in the protest by sending money, we are going to freeze your bank account. Now, if you are against this protest, you may say, okay, it's fine. They are disrupting a city and they shouldn't do it. Whatever is done to bring back order is fine. But you have to think this about from the other point of view. What if you are the protesters are people who want to make a lockdown or make more mask mandates or like compulsory vaccination and you are for this, okay? And you're protesting for this to protect the health of the population. And everybody is working on this and everybody is trying to make this protest gets their bank account frozen. So the point here is not who is right and who is wrong, is that our money, our bank accounts, the whole uh, financial system can be used against protests, right? Can be used against any kind of group. And these highlights, and that's the point I want to make here, is not political. This highlights the importance of decentralization as an insurance against abuse. Abuse from governments, abuse from banks, uh, even abuse from OTAs, you know, these centralized companies which have too much power, they can abuse it, and in general, they will. So decentralization here means we have an alternative where we know abuse cannot happen. We have an alternative which offers an exit. If you are pushing too much, if you are abusing your powers, I have an alternative, all right? So in general, decentralization as an insurance is a narrow reading of what it does and why, why it exists, but it's a very good way to explain why it makes sense and why we don't understand it generally, because again, decentralization, it's not important until it is. So many people, after what happened in Canada, they saw that the government is is freezing bank accounts. 
people who were against cryptocurrencies because they didn't see the value into the insurance aspect, uh, the value into the alternative monetary system. Now they see this value. This is going to happen in the travel world too. So you go around trying to talk about why a decentralized approach makes sense in the travel world. And most people would say, no, you know, OTAs are fine. Yeah, they, they charge a commission. It's fine. No, you know, like the centralized systems of um, distribution of, you know, availabilities are fine, whatever. They're always fine until they aren't. They're very efficient until they abuse their, their power. So if you are able to build the centralized alternatives to these centralized products and services, even those products and services will refrain from abusing too much. Like if you have no way out of Airbnb and the only alternative is booking, you don't have an alternative. If your only alternative is direct bookings, you already have something. It's already an exit. If direct bookings are hard to implement, your exit is not that effective. If because of Web3, direct bookings are going to be much, much easier or the centralized OTAs are going to be much, much more interesting for, for the guests, then you have a real good exit. And that makes the incumbents be more careful in how much they can exert their power over us. So I just wanted to finish this with this because, again, if you don't understand the centralization, and you know, I always come back to the centralization, if you do not understand the centralization, what happens is that you're going to be here when things go well, you know, when everything grows and the market grows and everybody's talking about NFTs, you're going to be interested. The moment it crashes and these markets crash all the time, you're going to go away for a couple of years until it comes back stronger than before. But then you lost the most interesting years, which are the bear market years where nobody's paying attention. That's actually when the best things are built. And when the opportunities are more clear in a bull market, when everything is growing, there's so many people and many of them don't even know what they're talking about, that it's really hard to see the really interesting projects and dynamics. In a bear market, it's much clearer that all the tourists have left and only the real pioneers stay, those who understand what's actually the important basis of everything. So by insisting on the decentralization aspect, I'm kind of hoping you stay also during the bear markets. I'm hoping to give you the tools to start as a tourist. And we all start as tourists. We come, we look around. And if things are nice and it's sunny, we stay. When it starts to rain and snow, we leave. And I hope to give you the tools to stay, not as a tourist, but stay as a local. So bear with me if I always come back to this. I think it's the very basic, the very foundation of everything we're doing here. All right, this is the end of today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed it. For more insights on Web3, follow me on Twitter at tripluca, T-R-I-P-L-U-C-A. And see you next time.